Industry-leading, difference-making, tomorrow-shaping, world-changing. These are a few of the adjectives people use to describe the technologies and companies Deloitte works with day in and day out. Join us, and soon those very same adjectives could describe your career too. Explore technology careers at Deloitte.com slash techcareers and make an impact on business, technology, and society while engineering your future. At Deloitte. As an Alliant Energy representative, I really enjoy helping businesses save. Today, I visited a business that asked for a free energy audit. After walking through their facility, I let the customers know how much money and energy they could be saving. Plus, I gave them an action plan detailing how to improve their energy efficiency. I showed them how they could save even more with rebates from Alliant Energy on equipment upgrades. If you are interested in saving energy and money, schedule a free energy audit at AlliantEnergy.com slash energy audit. This episode is brought to you by TickPick, where smart fans buy and sell tickets. Check out TickPick for the best ticket prices for your next game, concert, or event. And use promo code PODCAST to save 10 bucks off any order over $49. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K dot com. Promo code PODCAST. Today, we are reacting to the Broncos' second loss of the season. What went wrong against the Giants, and how can the Broncos fix it? Jake Marsing is going to join us to break it all down. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast, presented by Mile High Huddle. It's time to drop some knowledge. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, Scout Media, CBS Sports Digital. With me, Will Keys, editor and writer at Mile High Huddle. Will, I was wondering if you know a good psychiatrist, maybe someone experienced and versed in the you know professional athlete game, some, somebody we can get on the Brandon McManus case, kind of help to mitigate some of this neurosis. I don't know if there's a psychiatrist in the in the greater Denver area that is that good at their job to where they could they could fix Brandon McManus basically missing uh, missing the uprights by a good 15 yards. Mm. You know, it makes me think of uh, the whole like just a bit outside thing for Major <laughs> League. So that's really what it was. That's funny you should say that because I was actually watching Major League. Uh, the other day, it's such a. I think it's one of the best sports movies of all time. To say oh, nothing sure. of the fact that it's a comedy, but but yeah, I mean McManus absolutely off the rails, and we have a lot to get to today, including our guest Jake Marsing. But first, we want to say thank you to our sponsor, MyBookie.net. MyBookie.net is all about the excitement of making accurate sports predictions on your favorite teams without having to risk any funds. Totally recreational. There's all kinds of prizes in today's climate. The fantasy industries have made watching football so much more interesting by raising the stakes. So go to mybookie.net and compete for great prizes totally free. Now we're here, the Huddle Up Podcast, to give you a deep dive on your favorite team, the Denver Broncos, each and every week, and we need your help. Take some time, if you haven't done it, and go to iTunes and leave a creative review. Make sure you rate the show, or if you're an Android user, do it on Stitcher. It's a big, big help for us growing and reaching new listeners and of course we love to hear your feedback follow the show on twitter at huddle up pod 
and of course at Mile High Huddle. And if you're not, take a second and make sure you're, you've liked Mile High Huddle on Facebook because after each game, our friend Nick Kendall uh, does a Facebook Live from Mile High Huddle. You know, it takes 15, 20 minutes, answers your questions, shares kind of some immediate reactions off the cuff, and uh, you, you don't want to miss that. From now until who knows when the Broncos season is going to end. Maybe it's January, maybe it's February, we'll see. But we're going to be dropping knowledge several times a week, and you're not going to want to miss a single episode. Well, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. The Broncos dropped one at home uh, to the previously winless Giants, 23-10. to Now, coming out of the bye and having such a productive Wednesday practice, as Vance Joseph talked about more than once over the last week, it was quite a disappointment, of course, for the Broncos to lose their first game at home and in the fashion which they did. The Broncos have now lost two games, and in both losses, the offense has outgained their opponent. In Week 6, the Broncos put up 412 total yards to the Giants' 266. Now, in fairness, uh, a lot of those yards were in garbage time, but Denver had 13 possessions to New York's 11. The Giants barely controlled the time of possession battle, and I'm talking by like about a minute margin. We could go down the list and across the board, but the biggest points really of demarcation, I think, for the Broncos comparing them to the Giants were their ability to, well, their their inability to rush the ball uh, and, of course, the turnovers. And does that surprise anyone? I mean, more often than not, the team that turns the ball over the most is going to lose the game. New York inexplicably, inexplicably rushed for 146 yards as a team against the best run defense in the NFL. Eli Manning and company, they didn't turn the ball over. Meanwhile, the Broncos offense could only muster 46 yards on the ground while turning it over three different times, including a pick six, which really added to that that margin, which made it so much uh, harder for the Broncos to close it late in the game. Now we'll go through, break this whole thing down, especially we want to talk a lot about the quarterback position and what's going on with Trevor Simeon. Um, We're going to do that with Jake Marsing. But first, Will, it simply wasn't a winning formula for the Broncos. And to come out so flat out of the bye, I mean, what what are the implications of that? Because traditionally, Will, the Broncos have an excellent record coming out of the bye, but this time they, uh, you know, crapped the proverbial bed. They did indeed. The, The bed has been soiled. And you know, before that Buffalo game, I, I can't say I was particularly surprised that they lost just because you could kind of see it from a mile away that it was a trap game. But, man, I really expected them to to win this game and to win it, maybe not blow them out like they should have, but, you know, at least win comfortably by a couple of scores. And I think just what it goes to show is that when you think it's going to be as easy as everybody thought it was – it's just not going to go that way. And that's just the NFL. And if you tell a team for, you know, seven days that, you know, they don't have any good players left. um, Their locker room is basically on the verge of mutiny. Ben McAdoo's, you know, has one foot out the door already in New York. And and you tell them that they're going up against one of the better teams, the NFL on the road, and they just have zero shot to win. You can expect some professional athletes to take exception to that and come out motivated, and that's what we saw from the Giants. They played like a team that was 0-5 and was hungry for a win, but at the same time, they played loose and like they had nothing to lose. And, and the Broncos played tight. Yep. They played like they had you know, the expectations of the world on their shoulders because, you know, to, to put it simply, you know, everyone expected them to win, and there really was no reward 
had they won, uh, there really was not a, a job well done. It's just kind of, you know, all right, cool. You did what we expected you to do, you know, move on and beat the chargers and beat the chiefs now. Right. So, you know, maybe they caught, caught looking ahead. Maybe they just couldn't get up for, for an inferior opponent. And obviously I, I still do think the giants are, are not as good as the Broncos, you know, and if they play 10 times, the Broncos probably win eight, but everything went against them last night from the offense, not working that they, they couldn't run the ball. Brandon McManus couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. You know, the defense un- inexplicably uh, got gashed by Orleans Darqua, which, you know, I, I didn't expect to, to say after they controlled guys like Ezekiel Elliott and LaShawn McCoy, but you know, that's, that's the reality. Well, the thing for me now is like, do we really have the right to consider the Broncos to be a quote unquote good team? I mean, yeah, they're three and two, but they've lost two games. Their, their only two losses of the season were in games that they were favored to win. And the good teams in the NFL, I mean, I, I hate to burst anyone's bubble out there, but the good teams in the NFL do not lose those games. And as you said, Will, I mean, there's, there is an, uh, an odd kind of pressure. And in fact, if you go back and watch America's game for the 1998 Denver Broncos, the second Super Bowl yep. where they beat the Atlanta Falcons, Mark Schlereth mm-hmm. takes some time to kind of talk about that same uh, dynamic that you illuminated there in that by the time they got to the Super Bowl against the Falcons, there was such a sense of obligation and duty to handle their business that it was like it, it created its own kind of pressure. And, of course, the Broncos came out in that game and easily handled the Falcons. But for a team that maybe lacked leadership here or there or whatever, it, might, it, it could have been enough to cost them uh, a back-to-back world championship. So with the Broncos in this case, I think what's happening is two things. One, as you say, you know, they're, they're, this pressure is building up when they get favored because you go on the road and you get favored by three points. That's like being favored by 11 at home as they were or yeah. whatever it was against the Giants. And that creates its own pressure. And then on top of that, both these teams they've lost to, the Bills took great exception and great offense to uh, having a, a road team come in and be favored in their own house. And then, of course, as you talked about the Giants, you know, all the disrespect they were getting for being an Ofer team heading into week six – it all conspired to backfire on the Broncos. And really what I'm getting at here is I'm not so sure, Will, at this point. I mean, the Broncos have a lot of good players. They have several elite players. But I'm not so sure we can still consider the Broncos to be one of the good teams in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see your point. I, I do think they're, they're still an above-average team that is, for the time being, inconsistent because they got up for the good teams. They got up for, for Dallas and the Raiders, who I still think are, you know, although they've hit um, a rough patch that's probably worse than the Broncos, you know, they're able to get up for, for games that meant a little bit more. Yeah. Um, not that every game shouldn't matter, but clearly some games uh, carry a little more magnitude. And I don't know, you have to look at, you know, Vance Joseph coming off of a bye because we always talk about how, how well Andy Reid does off of a bye and how he, he never never loses when he gets two weeks to repair, but... We don't quite know what Vance Joseph's identity as a coach is right now, and we don't know how he's gonna how he's gonna navigate um, some troubled waters for the Broncos, and that's really what they're going through right now. So we'll we'll see if he comes out on the other side. But they've got a tough schedule. They're gonna be on the road for most of the season now, just because yeah. <laughs> I don't know the schedule was not very favorable to begin with, and and now that they've exhausted four of their uh, home games, which is already half of the schedule in their first five games, and they've already. Yeah. Uh, 
past their bye week. You know, the schedule's not doing them any favors. So, you know, I think they're a good team, but I don't know if they, they end up showing it. And I don't know if that comes to fruition necessarily. Well, but you did hit on the one thing that should give Broncos fans some hope, and that is on the games that, I mean, they all matter, right? Let's face it, each one of these games matter, of course, but on the games that, that these the Broncos really had to get their dander up, um, they came through and they came through big, especially against uh, the Cowboys, week one against beating a divisional opponent, uh, week four beating another divisional opponent. So, I mean, that's, the, that's the, the good thing to take away from the Broncos as they are now. But as you say, Will, they're heading down the war of attrition. Three of their next four games, including three straight, are on the road, and then it really doesn't get much easier from there. So it'll, uh, it'll be see how, interesting to see how this thing shakes out. Now, we want to take a step back and really focus on the offense. We want to focus on the quarterback position. We want to, to help us do that. Welcome in former Broncos beat writer, now working for sportandstory.com and Bo Mattingly down in Fayetteville, Arkansas, the one and only Jake Marsing. And many listeners, of course, will remember Jake from the year or so he spent with us at Mile High Huddle and, of course, the short-lived In the Huddle podcast we did together. He's still as plugged in as anybody, though, as to what's going on at Dove Valley, so we're happy to have him. Jake, welcome, my friend. What's good? Chad, it is good to talk to you again. Will, good to talk to you for the first time, uh, always happy to be involved with a mile high huddle property. I I, I owe I owe uh, that property quite a bit, so I'm always happy to talk to you guys. <clears throat> Let's start with a this question for you, Jake. How thin, in your mind, how thin is the ice Trevor Simeon is currently standing on right now with the Broncos? I don't know how thin it is. I mean, there's a lot of anxiety right now. I think is the answer, but I don't know practically speaking how thin that ice is because it's not like the Broncos have a whole lot of other options unless they wanted to turn to somebody. I mean, unless they wanted to turn to Brock and ride the, and ride that roller coaster, or if they want to do a, you know, kind of expedite the healing process of their first round pick Paxton Lynch. I, I don't, I don't know what other options Denver has. Uh, I, I know that, that the front office, at least from the time I was there through now, has wanted to at least at some point see what 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 Lynch has to offer, but Simeon has. I, I, I don't think Simeon has done enough at this point to really warrant them to seriously consider changing. I think there are a lot of issues that that team has right now outside of Trevor Simeon and Chad. You know, I've I've never been a Trevor Simeon defender. I think the guy has a lot of issues, but from the team's perspective, I think they view Trevor as really their best option. And until you have more evidence to the contrary, uh, I, I think they're, they're going to continue to go down this path. I, I think there's definitely anxiety, but I wouldn't say that there's a ton of thin ice yet. I think, you, I think you're pretty much on point with that, just because if you look at the things that Trevor Simeon isn't doing very well right now, which is not getting the ball out quickly – and kind of bailing out a little bit too early. And from what we saw from Paxton Lynch in the preseason, uh, he hasn't necessarily been the quickest decision maker. So I kind of shudder. I know Paxton Lynch is infinitely more mobile than Trevor Simeon at this point, and he can probably make a few more things happen as far as ducking defenders in the backfield and scrambling out a little bit more. But I don't know that the offensive problems go away when you when you make the switch from from Trevor Simeon to Paxson Lynch or even Brock Osweiler for that matter. Yeah, the thing with that, 
if you're going to make a switch from from Simeon to Lynch, and this is what I have said since the day Lynch was drafted, if Denver, when Denver makes that switch, and if they ever hand him the keys, which I think they should, I think it's a really bad move as an organization to invest as much as you have invested in Paxton Lynch in terms of draft capital, uh, to invest that much and then never even give him an opportunity, not even, I mean, not to even put him on the field and see what what, what happens. Uh, I've always believed that that's the best option for Denver, but I, I think to make that switch now, you would have to totally embrace what Lynch does well. That that's what has to happen for Paxton Lynch to become the starter with the, with the Broncos. You can't you can't try and put a leash on him. You can't try and you have to let him go out there and ball and do what he does best. You have to do something kind of similar to what the Broncos did with Tim Tebow in 2011. Now, I don't think it's as extreme a modification of the offense because I think Lynch is a far superior passer than Tebow was, but I think it's something kind of similar where you modify the offense to fit his skill set, which is what you should be doing in the first place if you're a coach. You should be modifying uh, your, your system to meet the needs of your players, and if you're not doing that, then you're doing something wrong. So, I think you'd have to really, really commit to Paxton Lynch whenever you make that move. And it's a move that the Broncos have been really reluctant to make because they've seen themselves as being in position for, you know, playoff chances, potentially, you know, world championship contention. Uh, I don't know whether that's the case, but it's a it's a it's a difficult line to walk for sure. Well, that's kind of what they have to juggle is priorities now. Obviously, I don't think anyone, at least on this episode, and not too many people, with the exception of your uh, Mark Kislas out there and all that, but are saying that the Broncos need to bench Simeon right now. But if they do, they have to juggle the priority. Do they, you know, how how much of the season is left? What what are the odds of them still making a playoff run? Things like that. Because in my mind, if you go to Paxton Lynch any time within the let's just say the next quarter of the season. I think what you're really signaling is that, you know, you're kind of giving up on on the season because Paxton Lynch has not been throwing the football for the better part of the last, well, almost two months now. He just started throwing last week, and then you want him to come in and start being the quarterback. I'm not sure that's the most realistic option. Now, I've had people tell me that if the Broncos make a change, health willing, it's going to be Paxton Lynch, and that might be true, but to me, it would seem, Jake, if the the goal is to still make a playoff push, if the goal is to still try and win the AFC West, let's say the Broncos go on the road and win or lose, let's say, two of their next three games, which are all road games, they're going to be facing some serious questions, and it would seem to me that Brock Osweiler, Jake, might actually in this crazy world we're in right now with the Broncos quarterback situation, give them the best opportunity to actually make a push and make it to the playoffs because he's done it for this team before. See, that's where I'm going to disagree with you, Chad. I think Brock Osweiler that the Broncos have now, that guy is a different player than he was when he was with the Broncos in 2015. He's gone through a whole roller coaster. John Elway said it himself when they signed Brock. That Brock was going to need a little bit of football, you know, he's going to need a little bit of TLC to come through things, and maybe he's getting there. Maybe he's to the point where you could where you could ask him to make a couple of spot starts for you and see what he has. The issue that I have when I'm I'm just listening to you, I'm thinking about all the mismanagement that has happened with this quarterback situation since Peyton Manning's. Uh, retirement, And we talked about it on the old podcast we used to do, Chad, about how the true test for John Elway was always going to be what happened after yep. Manning yep. left. Yep. And the answers we've gotten have not been very good. 
we've seen a ton of mismanagement at the most important position because the Broncos have been unwilling to do the thing that all franchises have to do when they lose a centerpiece quarterback like Manning. You have to be willing to bite the bullet at some point. You have to be willing at some point to say, hey, this is the direction we have to go to develop a young quarterback. But it feels when you're like not Jake, willing that, to hasn't that ship sailed? I mean, with I, I was you and I were, were sharing a brain during the summer, uh, you know, training camp, off season program, even going into the preseason, that the Broncos need to bite the bullet to use your your words there and just start Lynch come hell or high water, come what may, because of the investment they made, and it's not like the. The difference between he and Simeon was was drastic. I mean, Simeon outperformed him late in the uh, training camp and in the preseason, but it wasn't like night and day. And yet they still chose to go with Simeon. So to me, it felt like it really did feel like, and especially once Osweiler came into the picture, that that ship has sailed. The Lynch ship has sailed. And now I got a question where his head's at, because... You know, he's he's been rehabbing from the shoulder and all that, but he's also failed to beat out Trevor Simeon now two years in a row with the franchise choosing him uh, over Lynch. And, and you're not wrong. I mean, there, that's a fair question is, is what's gone on there. My, my answer about w- with this whole Lynch thing, and I get a lot of flack for it on Twitter, but the answer that I have for this whole Lynch debacle has been you took a kid with a high draft pick that you traded up to get. You should have bit the bullet with him last season when you had built up capital from your head coach and your general manager. You're coming off a Super Bowl win. We're going to start the young kid, and, and, it, and that's extraordinary ordinarily difficult to do. I don't necessarily blame the Broncos for, for not making that decision. But this year, you had to make that decision, and you didn't do it. And now you're stuck in a situation where nobody in the fan base trusts the guy that they should trust to take over this job. You should the fan base should be shouting and screaming for the first over for the 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 first round draft pick quarterback that you have on your roster. But they're not. And and I don't think it's really got a ton to do with what Lynch has done on the field, you look at Lynch's tape, it's not great all the time. He, he He's slow to make decisions. He definitely has a processing issue. But I think a lot of that just has to do with him thinking all the time and him trying to, the the, the, the systems he's been in, trying to put him on a leash. The just best tape just needs reps. The only way he's ever going to get better, the only way he's going to get past that thinking stage is to play. And that's something that Broncos fans have to acknowledge at this point. And playing him probably means, yeah, you're going to lose games. you That's what you have to do when you're trying to build a team that, as John Elway has said over and over again, can win not just now but from now on. If you want to develop a franchise quarterback here in Denver, you got to play him eventually. And whether Lynch is that guy or not, uh, you have missed an enormous opportunity to find out. You, you've you wasted now a year and a half of this kid's potential development, and you're in a situation where you're probably no better off than you would have been had you just played him to begin with. I'm not sure that John Elway's ever really been the type to bite the bullet. Like I, I don't think it's necessarily in his genetic makeup. I think if he had bit the bullet earlier, like in the, I don't know, for example, the 2011 season, we would have seen Kyle Orton for a full season and, and Tim Tito, Tim Tebow would have been riding the bench uh, until, you know, his contract ran up and the Broncos might be stuck with, you know, RG three at this point. But I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily in him. I don't know if he like has it in him to, 
to purposely say, all right, we're, we're going to take the season off, so to speak, not necessarily that they're trying to lose games, um, but they're trying to, to find out what they have in this roster, especially on the offensive side and, and kind of build for the future. I, I don't know if that's ever been the plan necessarily. And and I understand why fans and, and the organization wouldn't want it to be the plan. It's their job to win football games. But when you're trying to build a team in the NFL, a salary cap sport, you have to find out what your assets are worth. It's the same thing that it is in business. The Broncos right now have an asset that's been sitting on the bench for a year and a half who has done – the word I was getting over the summer was that – it was mixed reviews, but many positive. Right. Who were many positive reviews from people who were telling me that he had improved in a lot of areas, that they liked what he'd seen. Players I talked to said that it was night and day between the first year and the second year, that he'd really grown. And then he comes into camp, and it's just not there in a lot of ways. And I think part of that goes back to the reps issue, and it goes back to maybe this idea that you've got a kid – who might not be much of a practice player. And this happens sometimes. It does. Um, the, the best tape that the Broncos have had at quarterback, th- that they had at quarterback last season, I can't speak to this season because I'm not covering the team full-time. I haven't broken down the tape like I did last year. But the best tape that they got all of last season at the quarterback position was Paxton Lynch's tape out of the Tampa game. When they let him play and they let him go, and they saw what happened. He's got crazy physical skills. When you let him use them, he can potentially do it. Now, to the issue of whether John Elway wants to bite the bullet or not, that's his job. It's his job to develop a roster that can sustain success. If one year of 5-11 and 11 or 6-10 and 10 means 10 years of 11-5, and 12-4, and 4, you take it. It's the same thing that the Indianapolis Colts did with Peyton Manning. Same thing that has happened that the Broncos did with John Elway in 83, even though they made the playoffs his rookie season. It's what you have to do if you want to develop players. The only way for players to to learn is to play the game. And Lynch hasn't played the game. Especially first-rounders, yes. And especially a kid like Paxton Lynch, who is coming out of a system at Memphis that is so radically different from any NFL system. It's like... Trying the the analogy. I'm trying to remember the analogy I used last season. I, I think it was. It's like trying to teach an English speaker to learn fluent Italian uh, yeah. very quickly. It's 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 a whole new language, and you can't blame him if he's having some issues when he's not actually getting the opportunity or the investment from the coaching staff. Because let's be honest, it's not like the coaching staff of the Denver Broncos is spending a ton of time with Paxton Lynch right now. It's not like they have a tutor assigned to him every single day to work on him like maybe you would if you were your starting quarterback because they're focused on winning games as a coaching staff. That's their job. That's what they care about. That's how they keep their paychecks. It's their job to win games. It's the organization's job to think long-term. So John Elway may not, want, may not want to bite the bullet, but he should have, and he should now, sooner rather than later, in my opinion, uh, before we get there. Now, is are they at the point where that's going to happen? I don't think so. I think they're going to ride this Simeon train all the way to the bitter, bitter end. Uh, but but that's I think that's where they're at right now. Well, let's since Simeon is still, of course, the quarterback. Let's let's back up and and focus a little bit more of our analysis on him. He's coming off his first 300-yard passing game of the year, finishing with 376 against the Giants. But of course, he threw those two terrible picks, one of which was returned for a touchdown by Janoris Jenkins. The Broncos, Jake, did not find the end zone until garbage time, basically, with Simeon 
connecting with Jeff Hireman, who got his first career touchdown reception, by the way. What I know maybe you're not studying it as much as, you know, the last couple of years, but from what you've seen with Trevor Simeon, what's the biggest issue facing him right now? Well, I mean, he's improved in a lot of areas. Hi, I'm Bonnie Curry, one of the narrators on the Abide app, a premium ad-free biblical meditation experience. Join the millions of people who download the Abide app to reduce stress, improve sleep, and experience the peace of God every day. You can text the word PEACE to 22433 for a seven-day free trial of Abide. Just text PEACE to 22433, and you'll likely hear from me again on the app as I guide you through daily meditations or help you fall asleep and experience the peace of God. And you saw it early in the season, especially. He improved in his ability to be a whole field reader. Last season, so much of my issue with Simeon was that he really was only reading one side of the field or he was going to the place that the play was designed to go. You would see it on tape. Maybe that the maybe his, his first read is a flare out in the flat. So he'll stay on the flare out in the flat, even though he's got Demarius Thomas open in the middle of the field on an in route for, you know, a first down or what have you. And and there were plays like that, and there continue to be plays like that, where he just doesn't have the kind of perception of the field. He doesn't have the field vision that you'd want out of of your quarterback. He also doesn't have a ton of pocket presence. He doesn't have a sense of the rush, really. Mm. He struggles at times to to get out. I think think he's a little bit – I think he's seeing ghosts right now a little bit, and I can't blame him necessarily because that offensive line is made up of – like four turnstiles and Matt Paradis. Uh, <laughs> Come on, so Garrett Bowles has been solid, bro. Garrett Especially Bowles last right. week, Garrett Bowles was holding it down. Garrett Bowles played well. Yeah, Garrett one Bowles sack, played well. Re- I think he's relinquished one sack this year. That guy, that guy's just a monster, man. That guy, uh, uh, he was a fun interview uh, this this summer talking to him before I, I headed down here. But um, no, I mean the offensive line is a problem. I think he is aware it's a problem, and I think yeah. he's seeing ghosts a little bit. There, there were times in that game yesterday. Just watching the TV copy where you could tell that he was sensing pressure that wasn't there. He was moving off his spot too soon. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's definitely a little bit anxious in the pocket. I think his arm is better than I thought it was. Um, he, he's got pretty he's got pretty good arm strength. Um, and he can be accurate with the football. The issue be. is just he can be. The issue is consistency in his motion. His footwork gets off more often than you'd like. And but the biggest issues again are just natural presence uh, and and kind of physical stature. I think is the biggest concern that that you have about Simeon when I talk to people. He is not a big guy, and that he's got Trevor, the shoulder again now. He's got the shoulder again, and he's gonna have those upper body issues forever. He he like Aaron Rodgers has these kind of like he has a collarbone now. Aaron Rodgers does, right. and Simeon is smaller than Aaron Rodgers is. He's he's a little dude to be playing quarterback in the NFL. He looks a little bit bigger than he is um, on on TV. He's not a big guy, and he's going to continue to have durability issues throughout his career. So that's why I look at Trevor Simeon, and so many people in the scouting community too look at Trevor Simeon as a guy who you know is probably a high end backup. Uh, long-term in the NFL, and that's a guy that the Broncos probably can't invest in, um, can't invest in long-term. So he has a a few primary issues, pocket presence, uh, footwork, and and, and durability are the three biggest things I look at with Simeon as being long-term issues for him. 
So just to take the the spotlight off of Trevor Simeon for a second, and we talked about Brock Osweiler a little bit earlier, but what are a few things that you you thought you might see before you saw Brock Osweiler playing quarterback again for the Denver Broncos in the year 2017? Like for for example, like pigs flying or Donald hell Trump freezing president. over. Yeah, uh, yeah, Donald. I uh, I was sure. Yeah, I I don't. That's, that's a really good question. I was pretty sure I'd see the end of the world before I saw Brock Osweiler play quarterback for the Broncos again because I was around a, that team a little bit. Uh, I was I was in the org. I was starting to work my way really as a as a full time beat guy when when all that was going down. Um, and and that was ugly. Um, just talking to with some people who were kind of at the upper levels of that when I that was an ugly split um to to say that i was surprised when that happened would be an overstatement uh but it really was one phone call that it took it was one phone call elway and and osweiler and osweiler's reps talked it out they they cleared up their issues they said we can be mutually beneficial to each other and they got a deal done um but yeah i did not I did not expect that. I don't think anybody in any realm anywhere expected Brock Osweiler to wind up in Denver. But did um, you, Jake, did you see something more in that with the Broncos and Elway reaching out to Osweiler to bring him back? Because lest we forget, I mean, we're talking about a guy with whom, you know, Elway invested a second-round pick in Osweiler. They won some games together in 2015, played a big role in going to the playoffs, and, of course, the ended up being a nice run in the playoffs all the way to the Super Bowl in the, in the Lombardi Trophy. He wanted Brock Osweiler to be the future. He wanted him he, – he was willing to invest, maybe not as much as Houston. He had his limits and all that. But he loved himself some Brock Osweiler. They had the split, and now he's back. In just that – what do you read into that phone call that John Elway made – to oh. Osweiler and his reps. Anything other than we just need a backup and you, you know, you worked with Mike McCoy in 2012. Well, I think there is something to the idea that as a, as an executive or as a scout in the NFL, you're always going to believe your initial evaluation. You're all, even if you're proven wrong, right? Even if you're proven that hey, that's not quite right, but if you value somebody really highly, uh, as a prospect, you're probably going to think of them pretty highly throughout their NFL career. We see it all the time with guys who get, especially early on in their careers, who maybe get drafted late and then cut and then picked up and they wind up having you know, pretty successful careers because they go to organizations that valued them too. Uh, the Broncos, John Elway valued Brock Osweiler. John Elway saw talent in Osweiler. In fact, he overdrafted Brock Osweiler. Um in 2012 by 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 a bit from yeah. where a lot of people thought probably, he was going to wind up being probably a couple rounds yeah he took, was, took he him was over a, russell wilson of course yeah yeah he was a he was probably a fourth round guy for most teams and john elway took him in the second over quarterbacks like you mentioned like wilson and some others uh cousins who who have who have wound up working out better than osweiler has but as an executive as a scout you're always going to believe it's a it's kind of a confirmation bias or you're always going to buy into what you initially believed about a prospect more than you are most anything else um and it's a problem for a lot of scouts where they have a hard time admitting that they're wrong and if there's somebody who has a hard time admitting that they're wrong in the nfl john elway's at the top of that list uh John Elway does not like to admit defeat. He does not like to admit failure. He has held on to his draft picks 
who have not worked out longer than most NFL GMs would ever think about holding on to those draft picks. Part of that might be hubris. Part of that might be hope. I don't know, but I know that John Elway values his initial talent evaluations, and he valued Brock Osweiler higher than I think most teams would have. I I think Brock would have gotten a deal somewhere, but it wouldn't have been at nearly as quickly as he got one in Denver. The interest for Brock was really minimal uh, when he was when he was coming out of that situation in Cleveland. So he winds up in a good spot. Uh, it's still stunning to me, though, to see him, you know, taking snaps for the Broncos last night. It was a it was a crazy, crazy thing. Well, I got uh, we're running long here, and I, I'll give you one more, Jake, and I know uh, I know Will's got one for you here too. But let's just say if the Broncos make a change, okay? Let's assume Lynch is healthy. Um, what's it going to take, basically, in your mind? What what would it take for the Broncos to actually not just seriously consider making a change at quarterback, to, but to pull the trigger? They have to continue losing in the same fashion that they lost last night. Look. The Broncos lost an ugly game last night. I think that might be the worst loss that they've had. I mean, recency bias always plays into this, but it's the worst loss they've had at least in a year. Um, I'm trying to think of some losses last season. That Tennessee loss last year pops up in my head. Oakland Week there, 9. Oakland Kansas Week City. 9. Kansas City. There were a couple. There were bad losses last year, but that one against an Ofer Giants team playing with, like, Chad as their number one receiver. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, I Pretty mean, that that was that was ugly, and, and to lose the way that they lost. But to be honest, there were more issues in that game than just Trevor Simeon. I didn't think the defense played all that well. I think that they struggled in the secondary in that game. They struggled up front. I mean, Orleans Darkwa had a, had a great game last night, and that's got to get corrected. So... If you keep losing games like that, but you clean up the other issues, right? If your defense comes out to play, if your receivers play better than they played last night, if you were able to run the ball better than you ran the ball last night, but you're still having issues losing games because of Trevor Simeon, when he starts costing you football games, and it's obvious that he's costing you football games, that's when you make a change. The issue is I don't know if you ever get to that point with Trevor Simeon because he's not going to be somebody more often than not who really costs you games. He's going to throw bad interceptions. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to be limited in a lot of what he's physically capable well, of well, doing let throw, for let you. Let me throw something at you, Jake, because I, yeah, yeah. I agree because he's so, you know, he's, he's a steady type of guy. He's never going to be – he's not manic in any way. He's not one of these bipolar guys with high highs and low lows. He's pretty – even killed, but if you go back and it'll be even more interesting once the All-22 tape comes out, but if you go back and look, and even Vance Joseph talked about this after the game and in Monday, the Giants were selling out to stop the run like nobody's business. Run blitz after run blitz, leaving the single high safety. I mean, they were saying to Trevor Simeon, beat us, dude. What can you do to beat us? And the Broncos tried. I mean, they gave up on the run and tried, uh, you know, capitalizing on what they were seeing from the Giants, but Simeon couldn't get it done. So what I'm saying in that regard, the reason I go off on this little aside is he had every opportunity in the world on Sunday night to gash that Giants defense, but he just couldn't do it. And yeah, some of that was the pressure. Some of that, you know, there were some other game plan issues that led to that. But from an execution standpoint, when the rubber met the road, at least in that game in particular, I think he was the key mitigating factor that held the Broncos back from not only winning the game, but what leads to that, like converting third downs and scoring in the red zone. 
I, I think you're right. I think, and that was something I saw on tape a lot last season, where teams would stack the box, play the run, force Trevor Simeon to try and beat them, and he came up short more often than not. You'd, you'd hope to have seen development from year one to year two in that regard. I thought we were seeing it in the early part of the season. I was really impressed with some of the things he put on tape early in the first couple of weeks, and since those two games, it's just been it's been a disappointment. For him at this point, uh, I, I think you're gonna, you're probably gonna ride the Simeon train all the way this season. But uh, it, it wouldn't totally stun me if a change gets made at some point this year, especially if things really start sliding downhill. So, just to step back uh, and and kind of get away from the depression that was <laughs> the Denver Broncos on Sunday Night Football, and um, to get back to you, Jake. Uh, you're in your first year of covering the Arkansas Razorbacks. So what to you are the biggest differences that you've found between covering the NFL and now the college game? That's a, that's a fun question. You know, the NFL, I love covering the NFL for a couple of reasons. The NFL, when you have access in that league, it's great to be able to be a part of the, the kind of the community of journalists that cover that team on a daily basis, that cover an NFL team when you're at the facility, when you're in the locker room, that, that community is something you miss that you don't get at the college level because access in the NCAA is so restricted. It's basically you get a press conference once a day, you get two or three minute media availabilities and that's it. Whereas, you know, covering the Broncos, if you're in the media room all day, you're you're there. You're with a community of journalists. You're all working for the same thing. You know, you're competing against each other, but but you're all working towards the same goals um, of, of trying to break stories and figure out what's going on with that team. Uh, the, the one thing that I will say that I really appreciate about the college game is just the energy that comes on a college football Saturday. The, I, I think the college game is actually a more enjoyable game to watch than the NFL. The NFL has become such a horizontal game. It's so sideline to sideline, especially in the passing game. Whereas in the college game, so many of these teams will just let it rip. I mean, you'll see quarterbacks doing things that NFL coaches wouldn't dare let anybody do. It's kind yeah. of a West. It's a, it's a wild game. And the atmosphere too is awesome. I credit guys Bands in college football do not underestimate the power of the marching band. The true. difference that it's true. I mean, the difference that having that in the building makes to the atmosphere, to the energy of a game, really can't be measured. College football Saturdays are freaking awesome, especially in the SEC, especially you know in a place like Arkansas, where you know the, the Hogs are the only thing in town. They're not a very good football team this year. Anybody who watched ESPN on Saturday night can tell you that uh, they got their doors waxed by Alabama. They're probably going to get waxed by Auburn this Saturday. But it's it's a fun – it's fun. Uh, I enjoy it. I miss Denver. I miss covering the Broncos on a day-to-day basis. But I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm making my way down here for sure. Well, very illuminating. Good stuff. Make sure you're following Jake on Twitter at Jake D. Marsing. Check out the work he's doing over at sportinstory.com. Jake, my friend, thanks for joining us, dude. Appreciate it, Chad. As always, the boss man himself. Good to talk to you. Always fun. Always illuminating talking to Jake. Now, we still have a lot to get to, but first, we once again want to say thank you to our sponsor, MyBookie.net. MyBookie is all about the fun and excitement 
of making accurate predictions on your favorite teams without having to risk any funds. Site members can make picks against real spreads, real lines, and real totals for major sports leagues and associations, as well as college sports, and compete for great prizes courtesy of MyBookie. MyBookie.net is the greatest, most professional, totally free, and most importantly, 100% recreational sports prediction service you can find on the web. Instead of the typical head-to-head challenges and the handicapping contests, MyBookie.net goes beyond the basics, offers members a true betting platform that will make users feel like they were in a real betting site. MyBookie is not a gambling or a play-for-money site. It's a free sports wagering website built for millions of sports fans to provide them with a platform to participate in picking games and predicting scores and competing for free prizes without risking any hard-earned cash. Just like office pick'em contests, just like fantasy football, MyBookie brings a deeper enjoyment and excitement to watching our favorite teams by increasing the stakes, and it is fun. For no cost, you get to make predictions and qualify for prizes. Again, the service is absolutely free for all users, and we say thank you to MyBookie for sponsoring the Huddle Up podcast. All right, now we're going to get to a few of your questions in the Mile High Mailbag here in just a few minutes, but before we do, coming off a loss, it is appropriate and timely for us to get to step your game up. Will, coming off a loss, the options are replete with guys who really need to turn the ship around. Who's the number one guy in your mind needs to step it up? Well, I would mention Trevor Simeon, but I don't want to beat a dead horse at this point. So I'm going to look to another position group on the offense and say the tight ends. So Virgil Green caught one pass. I know Jeff Hireman had a, had a couple receptions and he had his first touchdown. So good for him, definitely. Um, AJ Derby, I think, had, I don't know, one target that he couldn't quite reel in with that one hand like he did a couple weeks ago. Um, but the production really wasn't there. And if you looked at the the Giants' offense, they were using the tight end so effectively with Evan Ingram. And maybe that has to do with the fact that Evan Ingram's more of a wide receiver, really, than a tight end, if you think about it. And the Broncos were still treating him as a tight end, which is, I think, the source uh, yeah. of a lot of their defensive struggles last night. But Agreed. the Broncos couldn't get a lot of production out of um, – you know, Green, Hireman until garbage time, and then and then Derby. Even though Derby had you know a career game against the Raiders a couple of weeks ago, so. Um, but to be a little more optimistic, uh, we could be seeing Jake Butt here in a couple of weeks. So, uh, he he's healthy. Uh, he sounds like he's eager and ready to go. And I think, you know, if indeed the Broncos activate him and don't decide to put him on IR after seeing what he looks like on the practice field. I think he could make a little bit of a difference. You know, he's a really good all-around player. He's been compared to Jason Witten, and I think that's that's something that Trevor Simeon could really use right now. Agreed. I think uh, the tight ends definitely need to step their game up. For me, I'm going to also go to a kind of a collective unit, and I'm going to say the Broncos' pass rush. Yeah, Vaughn Miller got himself a sack. Shaq Barrett got himself a sack, and even Adam Gotsis got in on the action a little bit on a coverage sack. But if you look at the Broncos right now, coming out of week six, they're tied at 18 in the NFL with just 13 sacks. And to add insult to injury, you look at the takeaways, they're 27th, tied at 27th with just four. So these are two statistical categories, really, that go hand in hand because when you're able to pressure the quarterback, Uh, You're going to find strip sacks. You're going to get balls tipped. You're going to get quarterbacks making early uh, and and unwise decisions under duress. And that's typically when you see guys like Aqib Tlaib and Chris Harris Jr. and everyone else in the no-fly zone begin to feast. So I think one of the issues that is facing Joe Woods right now is figuring out 
how to get more pressure on the quarterback because you know they've they've really started mixing in a lot more zone into their coverage as a means in which to kind of shake things up for opposing quarterbacks because the Broncos for the previous two years were such a predominantly man team that they felt like that could help kind of give them an advantage going into 2017 but the way opposing teams have kind of countered that is they are trying to run the ball and they're trying to when they do throw it they're trying to keep it short so that the pass rush doesn't have enough time to get to the quarterback. You're seeing a lot of three-step drops. You're seeing a lot of out routes and crossing patterns where it's basically just an extended run, which doesn't allow your Von Millers and your Shaq Barretts and everybody to get to the quarterback. But, you know, there's, there's a few issues that go into this. But being 18th in uh, sacks and 27th in takeaways – for a defense who is first in total yards still, second against the run, and third against the pass, those are the only two issues really holding them back, I think, this Broncos defense collectively from being absolutely dominant and really getting back to the 2015 form that we saw, we've seen some glimpses of early on this season. Now, let's, uh, let's move on. It's that time of the week where we take a peek inside the Mile High Mailbag because Will and I are your football priests. We're here to offer absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. And our first question from today, Will, comes from Donnie Mazzetti on Twitter, at DenverDude12. His question, I know you're getting bombarded with questions, but how likely is it Elway pulls off a trade? The O-line is trash, and so is the quarterback situation. Now, we've heard some rumblings about the Broncos looking at a few trade options, and especially on the O-line. We've heard some things, Joe Staley and San Fran. The trade deadline isn't until October 31st, so there's a little bit of time for the front office to figure this thing out. But considering, Will, that Menelik Watson's calf injury uh, is day-to-day, and who knows how long that could extend into considering his history, and then Billy Turner's broken hand, I'd say that the urgency level for the Broncos may have increased a little bit. But how likely is it? You know, if I had to put a, a number to it, I'd say like 15 to 20% chance maybe that the Broncos execute a trade to bolster the offensive line. But uh, that's just me. Your thoughts, Will, for Donnie? Yeah, I don't think they're making any trades at the quarterback position. I know people after the way uh, Eli Manning managed the game so efficiently uh, last night, I think people are calling for L.A. to just go into the Giants locker room and and offer him uh, a platter of second-round picks for for the other Manning brother but <laughs> how bizarre I, I can, would that be it would be very strange it would be very strange but um I do not think that's going to happen uh I think they're going to ride it out with Trevor Simeon uh like Jake Marsing talked about but I think the only target right now is Staley and it's the only one that makes sense but John Lynch is uh I think a very shrewd general manager and he knows that the Broncos have a massive need at right tackle, especially given the two injuries last night to Watson and Turner. So while I do think John Lynch probably owes the Broncos uh, a favor or two after poaching one of their, their coaches in the offseason. <laughs> yeah, and a front office guy. Right, right, right. So um, I think he might want to do John Elway a solid and, and give him Joe Staley for uh, a mid to late round pick. But at the same time, uh I don't know if the businessman in John Lynch uh, is willing to to concede when when the demand is just so ripe at the right tackle position. Good point. Now we move on to Mile High Maniac on Twitter. Question: If Denver benches Simeon, which QB gives them the best chance to win, Paxton Lynch or Brock Osweiler? My 
I mean, for my money right now, in terms of keeping the season alive, it's Brock Osweiler. Now, if Denver gets eliminated from playoff contention, go ahead and throw Lynch in and, and see what you've got. But it goes back to what we were talking about with Jake earlier in the show, where I just kind of feel like the Paxton-Lynch ship, at least for 2017, has sailed so long as the Broncos want to you know, try and remain competitive. But I've been told I'm wrong by more than one person in the know, so we'll see how that shakes out. But your answer, Will, for Mile High Mania. Uh, still Simeon for me. Um, Brock Osweiler, just getting a little glimpse at him last night for the first time. And not that I didn't watch him when he was in Houston and Cleveland, but to see him on your team is kind of looking at it through a different lens. And he just looks like a guy that's not the same as the one that we saw in 2015. And he looks less confident and less sure of himself and, and, you know, less decisive. And I tweeted it out kind of as a joke, but it's, it kind of rings true, but he, he looks like he's like lost a step too. Like he's, he's never the most athletic guy, but he could kind of move for a big guy. But now he, he, he looks like, and this is what I tweeted out. Um, so take it for what it's worth, but he looks like a guy that just ate a huge bowl of chili and is, you know, desperate to find the nearest bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Crank one out. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't, it's hard for me to look at the three quarterbacks and point to Brock freaking Osweiler and say that he is the guy that gives the Broncos the best chance to win. Well, no, so that's I think only, it's Simeon. That's only assuming Simeon gets benched. So if Simeon gets right, benched, right. Who, who would you go with? If you're the man making that decision, oh, okay. who's it going to be, Oz or uh, Lynch? I think for this season, this season probably Osweiler. I, I think you know Paxton Lynch is, still isn't ready, and we talked about it, you know, ad nauseum over the offseason but sometimes guys aren't ready until their third season and Pax and Lynch kind of fits the mold of that uh the perfect example of that guy so right now given the experience you know Brock Osweiler still has a career uh winning record in the NFL he's won a playoff game won a playoff game last year played decent in the divisional round against the Patriots um just not quite well enough to win but he's got the experience so yeah I'd, I'd give it to Osweiler Jacob, your question of when are we going to realize that Simeon is a solid QB, not a franchise QB, I think we pretty much uh, mined that that uh, ground in our conversation with Jake Marsing. So, you know, we'll we'll maybe circle back around to that one a little later in the season if the need arises. But before we get out of here, we want to also say thank you to our sponsor, Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. You get over 180,000 different titles to choose from, whether you're an iPhone user, Android, if you've got a Kindle, or even just an MP3 player. It's a great way to support the show, helps keep us going, and you get a free book and 30 days to check it out and try it. If you don't like it, you get to cancel um, and it's something I use on a daily basis right now. I'm kind of a little bit of a Star Wars nerd and getting uh, geeked up for The Last Jedi in December. I'm, I'm uh, listening to some new canon books to kind of give me some clues on what in the hell is going on with, uh, in the Star Wars universe. So it's great, but make sure you go to audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up and you can listen to it You know, when you're on your commute, if you're working out, if you're in the kitchen, uh, whatever it might be. And again, great way to support the show but that's all the time we have for today again big thanks to jake marsing for joining will and i you can find jake at jake d marsing will at will key six and myself at chad and jensen on twitter tweet us your questions and we're gonna always try to address your concerns on the show as often as we can try and set time aside specifically for that look for nick and carl's preview of the chargers game by thursday 
Don't forget to subscribe, y'all. For Will, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Mile high huddle. At Firehouse Subs, a portion of every purchase helps provide life-saving equipment to first responders. We make our subs differently because our subs can make a difference every day. That's why we're bringing back our daily medium sub special. Enjoy a different handcrafted medium sub at a special price for every day of the week. From Meatball Monday to Italian Sunday. Get it for a limited time, only at Firehouse Subs. Tap the banner now to start your pickup order. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.